Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Let's read together. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. May God add His blessing to the reading and the hearing of His Word. So, the first thing that you must deal with here is that this is a warning to us. Warnings in the book, there are five warnings in the book of Hebrews. This is the first one. The others will be later on down the line. But this first warning, all, all these warnings you need to grasp are there to make you uncomfortable. They're supposed to make you uncomfortable. So if as a Christian you read these warnings and you go, that doesn't make me feel right. I don't feel like there's, this feels awkward. Good. It's supposed to. That's what these warnings are supposed to do. They're supposed to make us feel slightly uncomfortable. But what they are also supposed to do is what the rest of the book does, which is point us to Jesus Christ. These are not warnings that call you to legalistic observance. They are not warnings that call you to rules and regulations. They are warnings that validate your faith when you listen to them and obey. So we know that those who believe obey. We know that from John chapter uh, 3. We know it from John chapter 6. We know it from the scripture that if you believe, you obey. This is the way that belief is validated in the Scripture through obedience. So when we read these warnings, I want you to understand that they are supposed to make you feel a little uncomfortable. They're supposed to make you question yourself, and they're supposed to make you feel a little challenged. So let's dive right in here and start with the very first word, therefore, or for this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. And the first question that you should ask is, for what reason? Therefore. Why is that there? What reason? Um, now, anybody who's taken a basic grammar English course knows that when you see a therefore, you should back up and see what it's there for, right? That's the, that's the purpose. Uh, in Greek, you've got this interesting play where you've got a forward-looking or a backward-looking therefore. For this reason is what that translates to. And the question is, is the for this reason what comes next, or the for this reason what comes back in reverse? The great thing about the book of Hebrews is that when you see a therefore, you can pretty much just say yes to that question. Is it what comes after or what comes before? And the answer is yes. If I'm losing some of you on the grammar, don't worry. We'll pick up with just straight text in just a second. So, what we want to do is remember what we've studied already in the passage before this. And what we've seen already in the first chapter is that Jesus is God. 
Jesus is creator. Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. Jesus holds all things together. Jesus keeps all things together. He's the better message. And more than anything, He is God Almighty in the flesh, greater than the angels. That's the first thing that we want to see and remember. We see therefore. So if Jesus is greater than all the angels, if He's the better message than the law, if He is the greater king than any king before us, then, if that is true, if that presupposition of what has happened before is all true, which, spoiler, it is, if that's all true, then we must pay close attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. So the warning is right there in verse 1. Pay attention. Pay attention, lest you drift. Now this, this phrase, pay attention and drift, is drawing our minds to a nautical example. A boat on a, on a sea or a river. When you're on a boat, now I'm, I don't own a boat. I don't necessarily fish a lot. I'll go with people when they ask me because it means I get... Hours of time in a boat confined with one person who can't get away. So um, I'm on. I, I don't go on boats often, but I've noticed one thing: if you don't either set an anchor or have a direction, you are going to drift. You are going to drift if you don't either set an anchor or have a direction that you're going. You are going to drift. Rivers, lakes, seas doesn't matter. You are going to drift. There's no better example than this than when you physically are in the water at the beach, just kind of bobbing up and down. You're in up to your chest maybe. It's not real high, but you're just bobbing up and down. Have you ever noticed if you just hang out in the water, you're not really moving, you're just kind of bopping around, and you turn and you look and you have drifted down the beach. That's because if you do not set an anchor or have a direction. You are going to drift. So what the author of Hebrews does here, is he says, you must stay straight. That's what pay attention means. Keep on the right path. Stay straight. You must pay attention. This is an apt warning for our society. Because in our society, it is easy to just kind of coast through life. It's easy to just kind of let things coast you through life and see what's coming next. I'll just live in luxury and relax. And it's easy to just drift. It's so easy. It's easy to just not read your Bible for a couple weeks. It's easy to just not fill yourself with the Word of God or or be around community, or no faith. It's easy to miss out on things that fill you. Because we live in luxury and comfort, and we forget that if we don't pay attention, we will drift. If we don't pay attention, we will drift. Faith is a disciplined effort of growth. And yet, it's disciplined. 
It takes work. And yet, as you go down the river, as you ride and you keep straight and you're attentive, as you do that, the ride becomes more and more restful. Because you're not drifting off course and having to fix yourself over and over and over and over again. Instead, you're remaining on track. As you drift, the ride becomes more and more restful. As you try to get back into the line, it becomes harder and harder and harder. But if you stay on the line, you stay on point, if you are faithful to continue to walk in the faith, to pay attention to what you have heard, the ride is awesome. You don't get stuck in whirlpools. You don't get stuck behind trees. The ride is amazing if you are attentive and you stay on course. Now, Galatians 6 verse 9 says, Do not grow weary in doing good. I will tell you that for me, the last several years, that has been a stalwart, a bulwark verse for me. It has been a life verse for me that do not grow weary in doing good. And that's what the author of Hebrews is calling us to right here. Do not grow weary in doing good. Pay attention. Pay attention. What a great starting verse for a sermon. Pay attention. Everybody looks up. Pay attention. We need to watch out, lest we drift away. The word drift away there is literally float past. To float past something. I don't know if you've ever gone tubing where you sit in a tube and you go down a river. Most people have. And you the laziest way to do a river and my favorite, right? You just hang out and drift. Even tubing, though, you gotta you got to stay in the middle. Because if you don't, you end up under some tree that's overhanging and your friends are halfway down the river and you're going, hold on! And then you get burned because you're having to do this the whole time to catch up, right? And overdo it down here and all this becomes rubber burned. I don't know what it is, but it's some sort of burn, right? Um, And so you finally catch up and you get to float in the river. If you are unattentive, you drift into trees. You drift into, you drift into whirlpools. You drift into places that you're not supposed to be. You drift into places where things will harm you. If you are attentive, you stay on track. I tell you, we live in a culture that is inattentive. That's drifting. Our churches have floated past the purpose of the gospel. Our politicians have floated past their responsibilities for leadership. Our leaders, our, 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 our stalwart figures, our celebrities have just gone ahead and, and gone underneath a tree and are being bitten by snakes. They're just under there and they, they call that better. It's better over here where we're all dying. They've all floated past where we're supposed to be. And yet, the author of Hebrews reminds us in timely fashion for us, 
pay attention. I just want to tell you who this message is for. The pay attention is for. It's not a message that is intended for celebrities. It is not a message that is intended for politicians. It is not a message that is intended for churches that you don't attend. It is intended for us. It's a message that's intended for me and intended for you. A message that should burn because you should be thinking in your head, when was the last time I read the Bible? When was the last time I really sat down and prayed? When was the last time I really, really got on my face before the Lord? When was the last time I shared the gospel? When was the last time I remembered the mission of this earth? These warnings in Hebrews are intended to make us feel uncomfortable. Don't run from the discomfort. That's why we're spending so much time on this first verse. Don't run from the discomfort. Let it sink in. Let it prick your soul a little bit. Let it sting you a little bit. It doesn't sting you. Try to make it sting you a little bit. It's a warning on purpose. It's a warning on purpose. So we are to pay attention to that which we have heard. That Jesus brought life to us. That we can know God. That which we heard, that that Jesus brought life, that we can know God, that rescue is found in Jesus Christ. To a a voracious studier of Scripture, your mind ought to be drawn to 1 John 1-4. through That which we have heard from the beginning, we attest to you. That which was from the beginning, which we saw with our eyes, which we touched with our hands, that... Jesus is real. That Lord God Almighty is real and has come down and you can know God. You get to know God. That is true. We must pay close attention lest we drift away from it. I don't want to drift. And i got to tell you just personal testimony why I don't want to drift. Because there was a time in my life when I drifted. And it was really hard to get back into the stream. It took a lot of work and a lot of brokenness to get back into the middle. And to stay on the track. Now the great thing about being a believer is that God drags you back over. He will drag you back over. But that doesn't make it any less painful when you drift it. So let us pay close attention lest we drift. Verse 2. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape? If we neglect such a great salvation. So first, the word or the message. The word that he uses there when he says, since the message, uh, since the message declared by angels, that word that's used there is the word logos. Since the word declared by angels. This is important because in John chapter 1, what does it say? And the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus is the Word. The Word has been declared by angels. 
The word is declared by angels. God, who rescues, has been declared or, or proclaimed by angels, and that message proved to be reliable. So first, angels have declared this message. And what is the message they've declared? Jesus is the message that they have declared. Jesus is better than the angels. Indeed, he is what the angels worship. He is what the angels declare. So he has proclaimed, the angels have proclaimed this message that God saves from the beginning. There's a cool double entendre in the Hebrew at the very beginning when it says God placed an angel in front of the garden uh, with a sword pointing in every direction and it says to guard the way to the tree of life. To guard the way to the tree of life. It's this interesting double entendre that he is not only keeping Adam and Eve out of the garden physically, but he is also guarding the only way to life. Jesus. He is protecting that way to life. So there's only one. It's this interesting play right there from the beginning. The angels declare the glory of God and salvation through Jesus Christ from the beginning. From the very beginning. They are declaring that Jesus is real. This is thousands of years before Christ shows up on earth. And the Hebrew author says, the angel guards the way to the tree of life. Wow. The angels declared this, and then they prove it. And how does it get proven? How does it, how is it proved? It's proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience receives a just retribution. If you read through the Old Testament, the angels' declaration of Jesus Christ proves reliable partly because people are judged for their sin. So it proves reliable because people are judged for their sin and it always comes back to get us. Sin always comes back on us. We always suffer consequence for sin. But we are spared wrath of God in Jesus Christ. So one of the questions that comes up often when you debate uh, Christianity with people who don't believe is, is whether or not God is just. It comes up all the time. It's not phrased that way. They don't phrase it that way. But they do. They, they might say, how is that fair? Right? Fair, not justice. Just, I know it's a bad terminology. Fair does not mean justice. It means equal to most people or equitable. Um, how is that equitable? And the problem is that it's not equitable. The truth is that all of us should be destroyed and defeated. God says in his word that he sends the rain on the just and the unjust alike. Right? So it rains on everybody. How is that fair? It's an awkward question, right? Because it rains on everybody. Well, here in the, the author of Hebrew is responding, saying it, it rains on the just and the unjust. The, the word, the, the message proves reliable because the law falls on everyone. The law falls 
on everyone. Everybody is covered by it. Everybody is punished by it. Even you. Here's the kicker. God provided a way out of the law. God provided a way out of judgment and wrath being poured out on you. He provided a way out, and that way out is Jesus Christ. Ray Comfort puts it this way. He says, if you were on an airplane and you knew that, or, or somebody said, hey, why don't you put this parachute on? It'll make your ride a little more comfortable. No, it won't. It's uncomfortable. It's big. It's clunky. It's hard to wear. It straps in weird places. I'd rather just sit in my seat on the airplane. And then he says, if the same guy came to you and said, listen, this plane is going to crash. But I have a way off. I have a lifeline, a salvation. A way for you to live. You just put this, put this parachute on, and when the plane starts to go down, you're going to live. That's a very different scenario. We live in a time and a culture when people have said, if you'll just ride with the parachute, you'll have a more comfortable ride. No. The truth is, the plane is going down. Put on the parachute. It's salvation. You see, the law condemned us and we are going to die. Everyone starts in the same place, headed to hell. No one has to try to go to hell. We do that all by ourselves. We drift along. If we drift along in life, you will go to hell. Your neighbors, your friends, your family, if they're drifting along and not paying attention to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, if they have not set their life in line with Him, then they are going to hell, drifting there, floating past salvation. And yet, the message proved reliable because we saw them drift into trees and drift into divine judgment, and God has been calling out from the beginning, Trust me! Trust me! Trust me! Stop going your own way! Don't depend on your own righteousness! I am the one who sanctifies you. I am Jehovah Makodesh Kim, the Lord who makes you righteous. I am Him. That's in Exodus. He says, for six days you will work and try to be righteous on your own, and on the seventh day you're going to sit back and remember, only Jesus can make you righteous. Only the Lord. Only the Lord can make you righteous. This, this message has proved Reliable. It means fixed and certain that those who do not trust in Christ face judgment. And those who trust in Christ get salvation. That message has been fixed and is certain. Every sin received divine retribution. Did you notice that there? Every sin received divine retribution. Every sin is punished. Every sin bears general consequences as well. While we as Christians have been forgiven of our sin, and while our sin is no longer held over our heads, you still bear the consequences of sinning. If you lie, you have to deal with the results of that lie. 
If you cheat, you have to deal with the results of that cheating. If you go around stabbing somebody all the time, you're going to end up in jail. If you murder, you're going to end up in prison. This is the way sin works. Now, the problem is, we don't often believe that. Yet, I think if you would grasp that sin bears consequences, you'd never do it. There's a great statement I heard a long time ago from a particular pastor who said, if the King David had realized that when he sinned against God by taking Bathsheba from Uriah and taking her to himself, if he had realized that the results of that sin, the consequences of that sin was going to be a divided nation, a split kingdom, and a pounding down on Israel and a total division, I don't think he ever would have done it. If he had considered the consequences of his sin, I don't know that he ever would have done it. But the truth is, if you're not attentive, you drift. If you're not attentive, you drift. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 32 has this incredible phraseology where it says, God gave them over, God gave them over, God gave them over. Because God doesn't have to draw you into sin. You do that all by yourself. God doesn't have to, to open the door for you. That just happens by passive action. You just drift along. God gives us over and gives us over. And they were punished. And it goes like this. They did not acknowledge God nor seek to glorify Him as God, but rather glorified the image of man and birds and reptiles. They were idolatrous. By the way, that's the sin of Sodom, just so you're aware. Idolatry is the sin of Sodom. The other stuff in Sodom was a result of idolatry. So they drift into idolatry, and the logic goes like this. They are punished, and we see them be punished not by God pouring down consequence, but by God removing His restraining hand from evil. This is how punishment works in the world. God removes His restraining hand, and evil presses forward. That's how it works. God is holding back evil. Now consider that for just a moment. Consider that for just a moment. God is right now holding back evil from our world. He is holding back consequences from our world. You know how many times when I think of that I have to say thank you to God for holding back the consequences of my own personal failings and sin, my own personal rejection? It's, it's daily, by the way. The, think about that. How gracious is God to be holding back evil in a world that glorifies things that are completely contrary to His standard of holiness? Do you know that I have a hard time even going to find a kid's movie that doesn't have something that rejects the Word of God in it? Kids movies. Kids movies 
have things, political statements and commentary about that are co- totally contrary to God's own holiness. And yet, we are not destroyed. That's mercy. So when someone says, how is God just when some tragedy happens, our honest-to-goodness response ought to be, you are still breathing. How is God just that you are still breathing? That I am still breathing is an act of mercy, not justice. I tell you, I don't want justice from God. I want mercy. God poured out his justice on Jesus Christ so that I didn't have to get it. He poured out wrath on Christ so that I would be free from it. So that I could love, trust, and follow, and obey, and worship. I don't want justice. I want mercy. So he goes on here. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? That's an uncomfortable question. Because the answer is, Jesus is how we're going to escape. That's how we're going to escape, Jesus Christ. And yet the question is still posed to us. If we are inattentive and we don't pay attention, how are we going to escape? And our answer has to be, Jesus is how we're going to escape. Over and over, Jesus is how we're going to escape. Because I can't climb out myself. He's going to have to get me out. Now, let's talk about the extent to which God went to show you His glory. It was declared first by the Lord. It was declared first by the Lord. Salvation was declared first by the Lord or through Jesus. You can put that in there. By the Lord or through Jesus. Jesus is the divine agent by which God declared His salvation first. Genesis 3, verse 15. If you don't have this verse memorized, you need to. The seed of the woman will crush the head of the snake. The seed of the woman will crush the head of the snake. At the very beginning, man sins against God, rejects Him, and God lays in the curse. In the curse. He lays in the curse the message of salvation. I will put enmity between the offspring of the snake and the offspring of the woman. And the snake's offspring will bruise his heel and he will crush his head. The seed of the woman will crush the head of the snake. That's the end of sin. Snake representing sin and death. The seed of the woman, the offspring of the woman, Jesus, will crush the head of the snake. And all through the Old Testament, you get this imagery over and over of one who is going to hang on a tree to save everyone who believes. One of my favorite images is when Moses takes a a snake and there's a plague going on, a plague of vipers that's going on and they're killing people and they're biting, biting people who have sinned and Israel has sinned against God and they're biting people and Moses takes a snake and stabs it and puts it up on a huge pole and says, if anyone wants to be saved from the snake, look to the dead thing on the pole. Look at it. That's all you have to do is look at it. Look at it. Isaiah takes that same image and goes, look 
unto me while there is time and be saved. Jesus takes the image and says, I am going to be lifted up on a pole for you to look at. And if you'll just look at me, you'll be saved. If you'll just pay attention to me, you'll be saved. Oh, how beautiful. The Lord declared this first. It was declared first by the Lord for your for your salvation. It's declared first by the Lord. And then second, it was attested to us by those who heard. So it was declared first by the Lord. Jesus stands and declares it through Jesus. God speaks salvation to you. And then it says, not only did Jesus declare it, not only did God declare it, not only did the angels declare this, but guess who else? Other people who heard it. They declared it to us. They attested to it. They attested it to us. They, they told us about it. Paul, Peter, John, the disciples, the, the entire New Testament written by people who saw and declared it to us, declared salvation. Indeed, now we are attesting to the world around us salvation. We are talking to them about salvation, how great this is. How wonderful this is. So it's attested by those who heard. It's declared first by the Lord. It's attested attested by those who heard. And then finally, while God, look at this present active while God, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. So look at this. One God went to incredible lengths to get your attention. First, he declares it by Jesus in the very beginning and then holds that declaration over and over and over and over. The angels are standing off to the side screaming, salvation has come, salvation has come, salvation has come. And then there's a bunch of people who are riding the the current, who are staying straight, who are paying attention, who are going, look over here, look over here, look over here. And then while all that was going on, while you had three different avenues proclaiming salvation, there's one more, God himself by signs and wonders and miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit. God himself proclaims salvation over and over and over. And I don't know if you've ever read any missionary stories. We have some on the back table. You need to fill yourself with the Word of God and supplement with those missionary stories. You want encouragement and excitement in the faith? Oh, just pick up one of those. Just pick up any of them. And read them. You will see miracle after miracle, sign after sign, attestation after attestation from God Himself. He drops signs on the earth all the time. He gives miracles all the time. Now, not many of you know, but when I was born, I was born with a condition um, from an overdose of a malaria drug that made me deaf. I shouldn't be able to hear. My parents sat on their face before the Lord. After I was born, they had had my brother um, 
who didn't breathe right away when he came out. He, he didn't breathe right away, and, and they were worried that he was going to be a stillbirth, and, and he, his heart started shortly after, and he was, he's fine now. Um, my sister has Downs, uh, Down syndrome, and is incredible, by the way. Um, I am more blessed than you because my sister's awesome, but she has Down syndrome, and so there was that struggle as parents, and my parents were foreign, wanted to be foreign missionaries, um, so Down syndrome kind of forced them to rethink that and live in the States, and then they have their third kid, and their third kid is deaf. I was crying weird, I wasn't paying attention, I, I didn't hear. So they fall on their face before the Lord. Lord, if you want us to bear, raise up this deaf child, fine, but please, we ask for you to heal him. We know you're real. We ask for you to heal him, that he would hear. He'd be able to hear. So I'm old enough to sit up, make funny noises, hit things, knock things over. I'm, I'm old enough to do that at this time. And my parents take me into the doctor, and he checks me out, and he says, yeah, your son's deaf. Doesn't look like his hearing's coming back. So uh, bring him in in a few days. I'll have the official forms here. We'll fill them out then, and uh, you know we'll get you guys started. They go home, pray some more. They've got their community praying. They've got their church praying. And I gotta be honest, I know my parents, I know exactly what they were going through. I've, I've talked to, I talked to them at length about it growing up over and over, and there was none of this, um, there, there was none of this false confidence or, or, uh, intent to try to sway God. There was only a simple plea. Lord, please. That was it. My dad even wrote it in his journal, and I read it once when I was, after, my dad passed away when I was 15, and I read it, I read his journal when I was 20-something, and I remember reading the line in there, Lord, please, please. That was it. That was all he said, please. So they take me into the doctor, and they sit me down, and the doctor walks behind the desk I'm sitting on, and knocks over some pencils, and I spun around. And then somebody called my name, and I spun around again. God does miracles. God does them. They still happen. He still does them. God is screaming. Not silent. He's yelling. Come. Salvation is here. I am here. Come. God is screaming it with every single motive, every single mode of expression he has. He's yelling. Jesus Christ redeems and rescues. You can't study a facet of science without running into God's salvation. He is yelling it like crazy. God bore witness by signs and wonders and miracles. And then by the Holy Spirit giving gifts to us. And how are they given? By the way, how are gifts given? They are given according to God's will. 
You don't get to choose your gifts. You don't get to ask for them. You can ask for them, you don't, but you don't get to choose them. You don't get to uh, take them. You don't get to claim them. They're not yours. They're distributed by the Holy Spirit according to His power and never, ever be deceived. Your gifts are an act of the Holy Spirit working Himself out through you. They're not yours. You aren't superhero. God didn't indwell Christians with superpowers. He indwelled them with His Spirit. You have the Spirit of God, and think about what that means. That means you have the very power of creation living inside of you. The Creator Himself living inside of you. Working out in your life and in your world according to His will. He is not tame. He is not a genie. You don't rub a lamp and He pops out. He is God. He is untethered and untamed. He does what He will. And what He wills to do is proclaim the message of salvation across the whole earth. So let us pay close attention to this. Let's stay on the line together. Let's hold each other accountable. And let's stay in line with the message of salvation and call to others. And call to others. The salvation is at hand. Only look to the Lord and be saved.